This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Vaches? I don't have to show you any stinking vaches! This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Susan Rice speaks. And where does she go? She goes to the Brian Williams Network, to Andrea Mitchell. And there's a reason why. And we will articulate the reason why coming up on the Chris Salcedo Show. And I'm so honored you've tuned in, everybody, here to the program. 888-933-93-888-900-3393. We'll get you the 411 on, on Rice. Also, if I get to it this hour, I, w- I want to talk to you about, about drugs, about legalizing drugs, and about how Tony Romo's leaving the Dallas Cowboys, going into broadcasting. And he's doing so at a at a rather inopportune time as as Jerry Jones wants to to stop testing for marijuana in the National Football League. Gee, I wonder why he's doing that. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, catching the show live, theblaze.com. Go to the radio section, blaze.com slash radio. You can go to your smartphone, the Blaze Radio smartphone app, the iHeartRadio app. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher there for your backup in case you want to do some on-demand listening. Some binge listening, if you will. Social media for The Salcedo Show. Go to Facebook, type in The Chris Salcedo Show in the search bar, and you will find us. On Twitter, at Chris Salcedo TX, at C-H-R-I-S-S-A-L-C-E-D-O-T-X, as in Texas. And on theblaze.com. Click on the channel section, and you will find the show's presence on theblaze.com right there. I'm in the co- I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to raise that number. So tell you know a couple thousand of your friends. <laughs> Show up to theblaze.com, click on the channel section and uh and click on there and follow. And then you will be uh you'll get an update. I think that's how it works on what we offer on a daily basis, some of the more I don't know, funny or engaging or both. Topics uh, usually make it to the, the front page of the Chris Salcedo Show. Presence on theblaze.com, our channel, if you will. All right, uh, Susan Rice jumps out there and jumps on MSNBS. Should I tell you? Should I tell you what was not? No, you know what? I'm going to save it. I'm going to build up. Because, of course, Susan Rice goes to MSNBS and speaks with Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell, a big Hillary Clinton fan big Democrat fan. 
So here comes Susan Rice, and she actually starts off the interview lying to MSNBS that she unmasked Team Trump for national security reasons. So they'd take that question back, they'd put it through a process, and the intelligence community made the determination as to whether or not the identity of that American individual could be provided to me. Now, she had to ask. She asked. She said the reason why she asked was because she couldn't make heads or tails of what the conversation between whoever the foreign intelligence was on and the individual that she needed their names so she could make sense of what was being said. That just knowing that it was American number one or American number two wasn't enough for her. She needed to know their names. Otherwise, she just, she just couldn't make heads or tails of what was going on in the document. Do you believe that? No. Uh, Chairman Devin Nunez has already told us that this information was not pertinent to the Russia investigation and that this information had no bearing on national security. None. Zero. Nada. So why did she request it? She sent the request. Several requests. And she had the authority. So the intelligence community said, sure, here you go. We'll unmask it. And that's what she's describing. That is what uh, I and... Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, CIA Director, DNI would do when we receive that information. We only do it to protect the American people to do our jobs in our in the national security well, realm. That's the only reason. Right. The only yeah. The only just to do our job. Well, if it didn't pertain to national security, and you're the national security advisor, then what job were you doing? It didn't pertain to national security. Devin Nunez already told us that. Susan Rice, the Sunday show charlatan, as we have taken to call her here on the Chris Salcedo Show. Now, why do we call her the Sunday show charlatan? Well, she was the woman who lied to the nation on five different Sunday talk shows about the cause of the Benghazi terrorist attack. She blamed the video. And she ran interference for the Obama administration because the narrative at the time was that terrorism was on the path of defeat, remember? Of course, it was a lie, but Susan Rice thought the timing and Team Obama thought the timing of this terrorist attack kind of ran afoul of this whole narrative that terrorism was defeated, that radical Islam had been defeated because I guess they just laid down their arms because of the magnificence of Barack Obama and how loving and inclusive he was to radical Islam. So the narrative was out there. So Susan Rice blames this hateful video that was just terrible to Muslims that nobody had seen. Remember? Hence, she gets the name The Sunday Show Charlatan, a woman who has a track record of lying. She says she wasn't playing politics when she unmasked uh, Trump campaign folks. Now, she, this may be true. It, it may be true. But she was doing something. And she should be under oath and asked, what were you doing? It wasn't national security, and you being the national security advisor, I, what, what were you doing? If you weren't playing politics, then Susan Rice, what were you doing? Within that process, and within the context of the Trump campaign, the Trump transition, did you seek the names of people involved in, to, to unmask the names of people involved in the Trump transition, the Trump campaign, people surrounding the, pre the 
the president-elect. Let me be clear. In order to spy on them. In- oh, did she just do an Obama? Did she just pull an Obama? Let me be clear. Hold on a minute. To the Trump campaign, people surrounding the, pre- the, the president-elect. Let me be clear. In order to... <laughs> Let me be clear. I just noticed that. Sorry. To unmask the names of people involved in the Trump transition, the Trump campaign, people surrounding the pre- the, the president-elect. Let me be in clear. Order to- yeah. Uh, by the way, this is our flip-around segment, folks. I didn't do much flipping around because I was focused like a laser on MSNBS. And I can't say that very often, that I stay transfixed to the basket of bias, one of the, the, the members in good standing of the basket of bias, MSNBS. Didn't do much flipping today between cnn and the others but this is still flip around because i started flipping and i was stuck for 13 minutes on this interview with susan rice seek the names of people involved in to to unmask the names of people involved in the trump transition the trump campaign people surrounding the 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 president-elect let me be in order to spy on them and absolutely expose them absolutely not for any political purposes to spy expose anything but let me leak the name of mike flynn i leaked nothing to nobody and never have and never would yeah i says the liar says that the proven liar (laughs) a woman who has let's just say some challenges with the truth never leaked anything now susan rice wants to be very clear Lumber McClure, that there's a difference between unmasking and leaking. So the notion that, which some people are trying to suggest, that by asking for the identity of an American person, uh, that is the same as leaking it, is completely false. Now, she's right. Simply because you unmask somebody doesn't mean you leaked it to the press. Somebody else committed the felony. Now, at the very worst, I'm sorry, the very, the, the very best, what Susan Rice did was improper. But it could be illegal if it is determined she was doing it for politics' sake. Now, remember the, the evolution of this, folks. Susan Rice makes requests to unmask who these people are. Then Obama lowers the classification on this information. And as we knew from that, what, what's that woman's name? Fracas, Fracas, Farakas. I, I have no, she jumps on MSNBS about four weeks ago and says, the reason why we were doing this is we didn't want, we didn't want team Trump to be able to sweep this stuff under the rug. What? The fact that they were having innocuous conversations with Russians or other people. So this is how it all went. Susan Rice unmasked. Obama lowered the classification and then disseminated all this information throughout government so more eyes could see it. And then somebody, probably a low-level operative, Democrat appointee, uh, leaked it to the press, committing the felony. But now we need to find out if Susan Rice and Barack Obama colluded to get this information to as many eyes as they possibly could. Was there collusion (laughs) between Susan Rice and resident Obama to get this information into the hands of leakers inside of the intelligence community? There's no equivalence between so-called unmasking and leaking. The, The effort to ask for the identity of American citizen 
is necessary to understand the importance of an intelligence report in some instances. Was was this one of these instances? She wasn't asked by Andrea Mitchell. Well, was this such an instance? Tell us what the compelling nationals. Now, of course, Susan Rice says, well, I can't talk about that because, well, I'd be violating national security if I talked to you about the nature of the reason why I was doing it. She can do it in a closed door session with congressional investigators, and she should be made to. Lastly on this, the Fox News panel, and and this is why I think Susan Rice went to MSNBS with Andrea Mitchell because she was secure that Andrea Mitchell would not play this. The notion that, which... I know nothing about this. I was surprised to see uh, reports from uh, Chairman Yunus on that uh, count today. That was a few weeks ago when she was asked about this and she said, now remember, she has just been outed and admitted on MSNBS that she unmasked folks. And she was asked, well, what do you know about this unmasking? I know nothing about this. I'm sorry, wait a minute. Three weeks ago, almost four weeks ago, you jump on national television when you're asked about unmasking which you now admit readily you did you said to the american people this i know nothing about this i was surprised to see uh reports from uh chairman Yunus on that uh count today yeah so andrea mitchell knowing that tape exists didn't ask susan rice about it she didn't the folks over at msnbs didn't say well susan rice If now you're admitting to us that you unmasked, you just said a few weeks ago that you didn't unmask. Which, how can we believe anything you say? Well, the Fox News panel took care of that. And with all due respect to Ms. Rice, she is famous for lying on national television about Benghazi. So her credibility, I think, in the eyes of many Americans is shot. Yeah, I agree. Back in a minute, the Salcedo Show on The Blaze. The antidote to the Brian Williams press. The Chris Salcedo Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. You're listening to the Latino conservative Chris Salcedo on the Blaze Radio Network. Just listening to Doc Thompson there on his um, his promo. You know, I, I have Schoolhouse Rock too. I, I got it for my kids. That's how I learned the preamble to the to the Constitution. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, huh? And I, I kind of agree with this frustration. It's like you know, you, I'm just a bill. <laughs> Yes, I'm only a bill. Uh, uh oh, wait a minute. Woo, you sure gotta climb a lot of steps to get to this Capitol building here in Washington. Well, I wonder who that sad little scrap of paper is. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. 
some of some of my most cherished childhood memories come from Schoolhouse Rock. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. By the way, Paul Ryan came out today, and uh, there was, I was leading someplace with this, folks. <laughs> Here's what Paul Ryan had to say. Those productive talks are happening. We're at the concept stages right now. Uh, the vice president has been instrumental in bringing together different groups from our conference to talk about concepts. So right now, we're just at that conceptual stage about how to move forward in a way that can get everybody to 216. Yeah, so apparently, the dead Obamacare repeal and praise God, deregulate effort still has a pulse. It's not dead. Now, listen to the basket of bias press. Now, you just heard Paul Ryan saying, well, it's conceptual. We're talking. We have, you know, we're just trying to agree on a framework here it's important that we don't just win the votes of one caucus or one group but that we uh get the votes and the consensus of 216 of our members and that's kind of where we are right now so it's premature to say where we are what we're on because we're at that conceptual stage right now yeah it's premature to say where we are that's what he's saying to the press excuse me all you folks now to, to show you that press just doesn't listen one trick ponies they have their minds on their own narrative listen to what some random reporter asked the Speaker of the House. Protection for conditions. There's some- she, you, you probably can't hear the bad, it's all bad audio. She goes, well, well, uh, what, what about Obama's priorities? Uh, 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 will, it, will it have pre-existing conditions? And it's like, the man just got through saying, it's all conceptual. We haven't agreed on anything yet. What the hell do you mean? We don't, we don't know what's in it because we haven't, we haven't even agreed on a concept yet. Uh, but will Obama, will Obama's stuff be preserved? No, I won't get into the details of these things other than to say that this is all about getting to the conceptual stage. We don't have a bill text or an agreement yet. He just said that. He just said it. These, these, these people in the press, they don't listen. One trick ponies. That's all they are. Now, so... You heard from Susan Rice. You heard from the Fox News panel basically saying, yeah, well, she's she's a demonstrated liar. So there's there's no way we she gets on. And there's a reason why she went to MSNBS. She was secure in the knowledge that Andrea Mitchell wouldn't play that soundbite of her getting out there, denying that she had no idea that that unmasking was going on when she was the perpetrator of it. I know nothing about this. I know nothing about this. And of course, just like the Benghazi explanation, it was an out and out lie. Now, come on, you guys tell me Andrea Mitchell. She's been around forever. I mean, forever. Do you think it was an oversight on Andrea Mitchell's part not to play this soundbite? I know nothing about this. I was surprised to see uh, reports from uh, Chairman Yunus. Yeah, very surprised. Very surprised. And of course, now she's all but admitting it was her. And, And she's saying, just because you unmask doesn't mean you leak. Just because you unmask doesn't mean you're a leaker. So now she's covering her rear end. I agree with all of you who are jumping in on Twitter. By the way, Twitter is at... Chris Salcedo TX at C-H-R-I-S-S-A-L-C-E-D-O-T-X. Her butt needs to get in front of a a committee 
under oath and we need to know what she knew, when she knew it, what Obama knew, what, when Obama knew it, and did Susan Rice collude with the Obama administration and partisans in the intelligence community to unmask and disseminate identities of, t- of the incoming administration's folks post-election. Post-election. And if she had a reason for unmasking these names. Susan Rice, what was it? What was the compelling national security interest as to the reasons why you unmasked these names? And then President Obama. Resident, President Obama ought to be called back and said, wait a minute, why did, you, why did you lower the classifications? And I know some of you are tweeting in right now saying, Barack Obama's not, no longer occupier of the Oval Office. Well, no kidding. No kidding. Does that mean he, that everything that he did, he should, be, that should, should go by the wayside? He should be exonerated? That he shouldn't be perp-walked? No, the standard in the United States is nobody is above the law. Not even Barack Hussein Obama. The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation Blaze. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Show. Conservative Talk Radio with Spice. So it's Susan Rice who is the unmasker, and now she's in damage control. That's why she goes to MSNBS because they know they won't ask her the tough questions. Susan Rice, did you leak? Of course not. I've never leaked. Okay, well, we take your word for it. But, you know, what What about this video from you a couple of, a couple of weeks back when you said you had no idea? about any unmasking and it was you let's talk to herb london about it herb is the uh, president of the london center for policy research he's responsible for creating the gallatin school of individualized study in 1972 was its dean until 1992 herb london is a graduate of columbia university and the recipient of a phd from new york university and he's been on every major newspaper journal in the country you've seen him uh, all over, um, all over the airwaves too, at various locations. Also, an author and a playwright, Mr. London. Welcome back to the Salcedo Show. Always a great pleasure to be with you, Chris. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about these revelations about Susan Rice. Uh, th- there's a reason <laughs> well, why. I don't know if you caught her interview with Andrea Mitchell, but there's a reason why she felt confident going to Andrea Mitchell. Is that Andrea? There was no way that she was going to ask her about her appearance when she claimed to have no idea about any of this unmasking business. What's your take? Well, what I take is a kind of professional dissimulator. Uh, Susan Rice has gone through this before. You may remember the Bergdahl case in which he said this man, Bergdahl, has served the country with honor and distinction. Uh, this is not the first time that we've seen the, uh, the other side of Susan Rice. It is a dark side, and it is a side that clearly represents the kind of lies that we've seen during the Obama years. Uh, my feeling is that she probably was involved in the unmasking of uh, Flynn, of Mike Flynn, but probably not only the unmasking of Mike Flynn. 
there may be others who fall into the same category that have not received the same degree of attention. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, when she was on uh, MSNBS today, she all but admitted as such. And she said, look, just because you unmask doesn't mean you leak. Just because you unmask doesn't mean you leak. And, and there's compelling <laughs> reasons to unmask, she said. But then that takes uh, that. Uh, let me just play this soundbite from a couple of weeks ago. I think she was on NPR. Listen to this. Hold on a second. As soon as I can get this thing to play. I know nothing about this. I was surprised to see uh, reports from uh, Chairman Yunus on that uh, count today. So she's so four weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, she's saying, I have no idea what anybody's talking about this unmasking business. And now it's revealed that she's the unmasker. She's admitting it. So th- th- this woman has a history, not not to mention the uh, why we call her the Sunday show charlatan uh, being on all those Sunday shows in, in the wake of Benghazi. This woman can't tell the truth to save her life. Well, she's incapable of telling the truth. I think that's part of it. But I also think that she was doing the bidding of the president. I mean, Susan Rice is not a person of any great distinction. What you had here was someone who was taking orders. Uh, so she's playing the role. This may be the role of a, of a kind of, uh, of agent within the administration. But she is playing a role. And she is playing a role and playing it effectively, according to the Obama people. The part that is very upsetting to me is that she is a clear, quintessential Obama loyal, loyalist. And as that loyalist, she was willing to do almost anything to not only assist the administration, but to engage in political acts that probably violated the Espionage Act, violated protocols within the government, violated understanding about the way in which governments normally conduct themselves. So, I mean, if it were up to me, there would be the full prosecution of the law in this matter. If she ended up behind bars, I would not shed a tear. Me me either. And, you know, Devin Nunez already said that through the through the discovery process that he has gone through, he he found out this unmasking had no relevant national security angle to it. And uh, so, and Susan Rice has said, well, you know what, uh, this has been my job. Well, if you, you as national security advisor weren't unmasking for national security, then what were you unmasking for? She has, she has to be made to answer that question under oath, in my view, anyway. Uh, Herb I think that's is our- exactly right. I think I have suspicions about the answer to that question, but I think that you're absolutely right. That's the kind of question that she should answer under oath. Yep. Herb London, our guest right now, folks, from the London Center for Policy Research. Let's pivot, shall we, to the upcoming visit of Xi Jinping, uh, the, uh, the Chinese president, and John McCain saying something rather, well, you know, a stopped watch is right twice a day, Herb. And, and here's John McCain uh, getting it right for a change. China is the one that can, con- the only one that can control Kim Jong-un, this crazy fat kid that's running uh, North Korea. And they're the ones, they could, they could stop North Korea's economy but, in a week. But- yeah, so there, there's John McCain calling him a crazy fat kid, the, the despotic leader of North Korea. And I think he's on to something. The only folks that can actually rein this rogue regime in is China. Well, China provides the fuel and the food for North Korea. So there's no question they can rein them in. The issue, however, is what is the leverage that we have to put pressure on the Chinese? I mean, the fact is that China has had, has heard from the United States about this matter over the last eight years, if not longer. But very little has occurred. And the reason why it doesn't occur is because the Chinese, every once in a while, like to unleash their beast. And that beast creates great pressure on the West, particularly pressure for American forces in the Far East. And it makes our allies very nervous because it appears as if the United States can do nothing in order to assist them. I, very much, I was very much pleased with Donald Trump's statement, which was quite direct. 
saying, if the Chinese can't do it, we will. And I think that we can do it. And the way we do it is by talking about trade and the reduction in trade with China. Secondly, we can do it by saying to the Chinese, you know something? We have been talking to the Japanese about modifications in Article 9 in the Japanese Constitution, which prohibits nuclear weapons. Maybe the Chinese, excuse me, maybe the Japanese should have nuclear weapons. Let me tell you, if that were to occur, and I'm not sure it will, but if that were to occur, even that conversation, the Chinese would jump into a negotiating seat. Yeah, well, you know what? Also, too, I, I don't know that the Chinese would fancy uh, the United States having an increased presence. Well, you know, I could, I could see the, the dialogue going something like this. Well, uh, Mr. Xi Jinping, uh, we don't really want to be over there with a, with a huge military presence in the Pacific Basin. But you know what? If, if Kim Jong-un continues to saber rattle and continues to test missiles that can hit the United States, we're going to have no other choice but to deploy a battle group over there, a carrier group over there, uh, to keep this rogue regime in, in, in place. And if you don't want to do anything about it, you're just going to have to accept a heavy, heavy uh, American militarized presence in the, Chi- in the South China Sea and in that, region of the, in, in that region of the world. That might also get them to, to jump too, don't you think? I think it not only get them to jump, but it will also be a very important catalyst for getting our allies together. I mean, if the United States were to send the Seventh Fleet into the South China Sea and to say, you know what, these artificial islands, these reefs that you created, they're fine for you. But, you know, they have no bearing at all on the freedom of the seas. And if we were to say to the Australians and New Zealanders and to the South Vietnamese and to the Koreans, you know something, we want to work together. We want to create an alliance here, a defense alliance. But the United States playing a more active role than we did during the Obama years. I'll tell you, that sends a message to the Chinese. The Chinese may think of this as Middle Kingdom, but very quickly they're going to have to revise their thinking. Yeah, and lastly, you mentioned the fact that that the the, the Chinese every once in a while releases their beast. They they see it seems to me that they have gone pretty much unchecked, as has the North Koreans. Because of who we had in the Oval Office these last these last eight years, it was a, it was a good time to be a despot. It was a good time to be a communist because you could be sure that the United States under Barack Obama wasn't going to do anything to stand in your way. As a matter of fact, he may go out of his way to bend over backwards to help you. So right. now that there's a new sheriff in town, uh, there there's a, perhaps a chance of returning to normalcy. But I wanted to get your impression of how destructive Obama's presence in that Oval Office for eight years was to keeping rogue regimes like North Korea and, and communist regimes like China under control. Well, look, the, uh, the Obama administration had one overarching uh, supposition in foreign policy. That is, the arc of history is moving in our direction. It is not necessary to intervene anywhere in the world. And you're quite right. This is a wonderful period for despots and for imperialists. And they did act. In fact, there's no such thing as a vacuum in international affairs. That vacuum was filled. It was filled by the Russians, by the Chinese, by the Iranians. And so we have seen great changes that have occurred in the world stage. If there's any change, it has to be a Trump administration that says, you know something, we are cowboys. We are erratic. We're unpredictable. And let me tell you something. The things that you counted on over the last eight years, that's over. There's a new chapter in our history, and that chapter is going to be far more, far more relevant in dealing with the issues that we have to deal with in our part of the world, in this part of the world. So, yes, I think that what, when you hear someone from Russia or China say that the leader of the United States is acting like a cowboy, then you know he's doing the right thing. Because remember, <laughs> it was Hitler who said FDR is a cowboy. 
Yeah. No, I, you know what? I, I, exactly. You know what? And I, I like to see the communists and the despots start sweating a little more uh, than we in the, in the West or in the, in the free world. Herb London, everybody, president of the London Center for Policy Research, sir. Always appreciate our visits here on the Salcedo Show. Always look forward to chatting with you, Chris. All the best to you. Take care. You betcha, sir. All right, more to come, folks, either side of the break. We'll talk about, well, drugs. We'll talk about the National Football League and many other interesting topics coming up on the Salcedo Show here on The Blaze. It's your radio republic. Be heard. 888-900-3393. This is the Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation Blaze. On the Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo. So Tony Romo of the Dallas Cowboys is leaving the franchise. He's retiring, leaving football. He's going to jump into the broadcast booth. I think this is, I'm wondering how long this was actually, and, and maybe this had been the plan all along. Talk with some friends of mine who are a lot more, uh, shall we say, plugged in to the National Football League and into sports and say this may have been, you know, just an effort for for Tony Romo to help out his his former team's management. But long story short, he's um, he's going to join the broadcast booth. And I was speculating earlier today before it was revealed that he was going to join CBS. But I'd asked some of the producers here in the program. You know, where do you think where do you think he should go? Where would he do the most good? And I, you know, I'm I'm not that I'm the the decider in all of this, but I'm quite happy with. The Fox broadcast team of Joe Buck, the, the A team there, Joe Buck and um, Troy Aikman. And I think that uh, Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football on NBC, along with Chris Collinsworth, they do a great job too. So I think those are probably two of the elite broadcasting teams. Now, what was said to me, and I'm not saying I have an opinion one way or the other. I'm just saying what was said to me was that Phil Sims on CBS play by play as part of, uh, you know, opposite Jim Nance who does play-by-play, and uh, Sims does does color commentary, that he needed to go, and fans thought that he needed to go, and it is widely speculated that Tony Romo will end up being the color analyst for, for Jim Nance, A-team. Now, now Tony's well-spoken and certainly knows the game, and, of course, I have a little bit of a bias against the, the New York football giants anyway. Um... <laughs> Anyway, so I, I think Tony's getting out of football, at least out of the, the Cowboys organization, as if he had a choice, uh, a little soon. I mean, I, I'm sure he could have stayed there as a backup if he'd wanted to. Because Jerry Jones, in the owners' meeting that just took place late last week, brought up the possibility of eliminating marijuana drug testing for NFL players. Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, wants to get rid of it. Now, I, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my understanding is the, the Maui Wowie problem among the National Football League is epidemic. And, and I also understand the testing procedures are somewhat of a joke. 
somebody called into the, uh, an earlier version of the Salcedo show and said that you can, um, you get notified 90 days before you're tested <laughs> that you're going to be tested. And you've got to return this kit back to the National Football League on a particular day. So if you have any idea of how um, THC, the, the main ingredient in Maui Wowie, how long it stays in your system, you can pretty much calculate your drug use tailored to that so anyway that's so jerry jones is not and not only will that be um better for nfl owners to be able to field their teams without much restriction but it it, it will uh you know maybe increase this the sales of snacks at the um at the vending machines at at the cowboys facility and some of these nfl facilities i'm just saying now that led into a discussion about about legalizing drugs in general. Now look, I I have been a proponent in the past and still am of legalizing drugs, not because I think they're good, but because I know that we're spending 31 billion dollars in in fiscal year 2017 it's been proposed. 31 billion dollars on a losing effort to combat drugs. Uh, drugs are at, at an epidemic rate here, folks. We're doing something wrong. And what I think we're doing wrong is, is that we need to start stigmatizing drugs and educating people on drugs. Um, and there's not been a real significant campaign to that end in a, in a good many years. So instead of fighting it, you legalize it, you tax it, you destigmatize it, not, not destigmatize you, you you take out the allure. Now, I know, I know a lot of you are going to say, well, wait a minute, drugs ruin people's lives. Yeah, I know. And you know what? 49% of that, or 46% of that 39 or $31 billion that we're spending is for treatment. Meaning after you already lose the war, you're spending billions upon billions upon billions of dollars to fix that. I think we can do better. What do you think? 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Batches. I don't have to show you any stinking batches. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Just doing a quick perusal. CNN, new reports detail Trump Associates Russia contacts. I think this is the one that they're they're talking about somebody who was targeted by the Russians in the Trump administration. Thus, it's their fault. (laughs) The Russians target them and it's their fault. Uh, let's see. Uh, MSNBS is still talking about their exclusive with Susan Rice, where she denies that she put together a spreadsheet of all of these Trump contacts. And of course, they all believe her. President Trump turning attention to jobs and Russia, according to Fox News, Fox Business, President Trump infrastructure. The bill may top one trillion dollars. So it's fascinating to me to see how these channels cover what they think is news. So it's, um, it's, um, 
quite interesting in my in my mind. Somebody who's a who is a media watcher, not just somebody who tunes in, but somebody who watches for the patterns. Uh, telephone number is triple eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. I would be very curious to hear what you all think about this idea of legalizing drugs. Let me give you the number again. The number is thirty one billion dollars with a B that we spend that's now it's proposed being spent for 2017 and we have an epidemic in this country it's an epidemic of drugs so i um i what did my my buddy skip lacombe used to say you're doing it wrong i think we're doing it wrong now i remember back in the 80s that the just say no campaign that stuff didn't work very well but there wasn't that much, as far as dollars, comparatively speaking, put into that type of campaign. Look at that contrasted to the billions of public relations dollars and emphasis put on by the country with alcohol. Now, I'm not saying that alcohol is, is shall we say, Drink, drinking and driving is, but alcohol is not looked down upon. And I don't think that we want to get to that place where drugs are the same thing. In particular, now marijuana, I, I, and I'm speaking as a guy who's never tried an illicit drug before. I've never even taken a puff of a joint, never. So I'm, I am speaking out of ignorance here because I don't know, and I've never had the desire to have drugs in my system. So all that being said, what if we took, let's just say half of the $31 billion and sunk that into prevention, sunk, sunk that into uh, educational, television education, school education, to make sure that there's nobody in America that doesn't know and understand the dangers of illicit drugs. Take the other $15 billion and bank it. Put it, I know, can, uh, seeing how much this, this government overspends, it's a drop in the bucket, but hey, $15 billion is still $15 billion. And I'd rather see that than this losing effort because right now we're spending the money and we're, we're drowning in drugs. Now, what is the net effect immediately when you take down or when you make... Or you decriminalize, let's say, illicit drugs. What's the net effect? Automatically, the price drops out. There's a, a story in the Daily Caller today that, that I didn't have this earlier, but just came up. Governors warn that, uh, that cartels stand to gain from Trump's drug proposals. Officials from states with legalized marijuana are warning the Trump administration that a crackdown on state pot laws will only serve to boost illicit sales. So it's, so it's going to boost illicit sales. What's going to happen to the price? When it's rare, the price goes up. It goes up. And when the cost of getting those illegal drugs to market goes up, guess what happens? Price of them goes up. And the profits for the drug cartels go up. And they're massive. Massive profits. So you decriminalize, then you start taxing it. 
and regulating it. And uh, then you can get some revenue off of it, as Colorado is finding out. And then what happens to the drug cartels? I'm just, I'm just applying market sense to this problem. Drug cartels, all of a sudden, their marijuana isn't worth anything. Why would you want to buy from a foreign importer when you can either grow your own or go to a, a local dispensary that is putting it out there at a much, a much cheaper cost without all that, you know, all the drug cartel overhead? Now, I, I got some pushback on Twitter today from individuals saying, well, have you ever seen have you ever seen a family destroyed? Because my family's been destroyed by illicit drugs. And I said, yeah, they were destroyed and illicit drugs are illegal. They're illegal right now. And your family was destroyed. And the rationale is, well, more families will be destroyed. Well, I don't know that's the case. Because part of the allure in the drug culture is that it's illegal, man. You're getting away with something. What if it's no big deal? What do you do to the value? And you guys have these personalities in your life. Those who are like, man, if I'm not, if I'm, I got to push the envelope, got to push the envelope. And that can, th- that can lead to abuse. Let's see. Uh, coming in on Twitter right now. Let's see. This is Nathan. Nathaniel. As a libertarian, I absolutely say the drug war has failed miserably especially on marijuana. Well, I don't think you're alone. And, and, and again, don't misunderstand. I'm not singing at all the virtues of drugs. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. But I would say after a massive campaign of educating people on the disasters that, that drugs can provide us, there'd be no excuse for anybody not to know how much of a cancer, how, how silly it would be for you to partake in this product. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for legalizing it, but then a full-on relentless blitz to where, let me, give the, let me put it this way. I was just talking with Mrs. Salcedo earlier today about, and we've talked about this on the show too, how in pop culture right now, we are seeing movies and television shows the gay agenda is front and center. I asked my my 15-year-old about a month ago, what, what percentage do you think that gays are in our population? She said about 30 or 40%. I think our, uh, our buddy Mike Slater from the weekends here on The Blaze also did something similar out in San Diego. 30 or 40%. But according to the census, it's about 2%. They're saying those who are gay but don't want to admit it it could be closer to 5 or 6%, but nowhere near 30 or 40, but that's the perception. There's, there's a gay around every corner. Uh, if I can be Seinfeld, not that there's anything wrong with that, but the fact that they're a greater percentage and deserve a greater say than in our society that, that, that goes beyond their direct representation is silly. So that effort... Be, a gargantuan effort being undertaken by Hollywood and the American left, we could do it as a culture when it came to illicit drugs to basically 
Oh, you, you use drugs? Oh, hey, sorry, can't hang, man. See you later, bye. That kind of thing. So we, de- we, we decriminalize it, and then we get to work using some of that money to basically, it, it basically it's a massive peer pressure campaign, I guess for lack of a better term. I, I think we would get a lot better results than we're getting right now because right now, folks, we're spending $31 billion annually and we're getting our lunch handed to us. It's, it's, it's a complete and utter loss and failure. You want to weigh in on, um, on this? 888-933-93-888-900-3393 or on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Got more to come, folks. We got to start talking about Gorsuch and the Supreme Court. Molly Hemingway came up with a an alternative to getting Gorsuch an up or down vote without going nuclear. I want to run that by you. Coming up on the Salcedo Show here on The Blaze. Dismantling liberal ideology, one issue at a time. This is The Chris Salcedo Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, welcome back, everybody. Let's let's start getting into into Gorsuch. A Fox News Channel did a, a fantastic job of showing the hypocrisy of extremist libs like Chuck Schumer on this on this whole Supreme Court issue. Here he is, uh, Chuck Schumer, with the help of Fox News. Uh, Chuck Schumer back then, and Chuck Schumer today. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer insists it is a necessity, but that's not what he was saying back in 2013. We'd much prefer the risk of up or down votes in majority rule than the risk of continued total obstruction. That's the bottom line, no matter who's in power. No matter who's in power, need to have her up or down vote. That's what Chuck Schumer's talking about. Now, this is, what, of course, when Obama was in office. Need to have that up or down vote. Come on, let's, let's, let's get her done. No matter who's in office, said Chuck Schumer. Well, apparently he didn't mean it. That's the year Democrats invoked the so-called nuclear option, lowering the vote threshold for lower court federal nominees to just 51 in order to seat a number of President Obama's nominees on a key federal court. And this is today. The logic, the irresistible, immutable logic is if the nominee doesn't get 60, you change the nominee, not the rules. Right. Okay, so that's Chuck Schumer being a hypocrite, which is kind of what Chuck Schumer does. It's, it's what you do when you're a Democrat. Now, here is Chuck Schumer on Meet the Press this last weekend, and he's outlining to Chuck Todd his criteria for a, a nominee to the Supreme Court. Now, of course, he's not the party in power. His president's not sitting up on, uh, in the White House. Chuck Schumer believes that he should be... Li- now, when the Republicans were in power, they... Or, or, I'm sorry. When the Democrats were in power, the Democrats didn't have to listen to Republicans. Didn't have to listen to them. And the Democrats expected Sotomayor and Justice Kagan to be confirmed because they were qualified. Well, so too is Gorsuch. Gorsuch is qualified. You may not agree with his, 
philosophy, but that's not the, that's not the bar. At least it didn't used to be. And here's Chuck Schumer saying what his criteria is. You know, Heidi Heitkamp, one of the Democratic senators uh, in your conference, she came out uh, in favor of Neil Gorsuch and in favor of cloture. She said she's not happy about it. She didn't like the way Merrick Garland was treated. But she ended her statement by essentially saying two wrongs don't make a right. Okay, let me make a... Why not give Neil Gorsuch an up or down vote, Senator Schumer? Let me make a proposal here to maybe break... Uh, this problem that we have. The, the pr- that we have. No, it's it's your problem, Chuck Schumer. This is your problem. You're the one who doesn't want to give Trump his nominee because you're, you're butthurt over, over Merrick Garland. And I understand that. But don't forget, it was you, sir, who also said that a sitting president with a year and a half left in his term should not be allowed to make a Supreme Court nomination. You said it, sir. You or Harry Reid, same difference. You guys are the same people, in essence, ideologically speaking. Okay. Um, It looks like uh, Gorsuch will not reach the 60-vote margin. So instead of changing the rules, which is up to Mitch McConnell and the Republican majority, why doesn't President Trump, Democrats, and Republicans in the Senate sit down and try to come up with a mainstream nominee? Because it's not your call. It's not your call. You're only there to advise, advise and consent. That's it. You don't get to sit there and say, well, we think you got to have this judicial philosophy. That's not up to you. You're not the party in power. At least that's the way things used to work before you Democrats started dismantling everything. Every single degradation of our societal norms Every single degradation of government norms, the 60 vote threshold, the respect for the minority, it has been done away with courtesy of liberal Democrats who wanted to get their way. And they were really upset and throwing a temper tantrum when they were expected, as in years past, past, to respect the Republicans when they were in the minority. And the Republicans... We're kind of dragging their feet on some lower court judges because it was their prerogative as the minority. And then who went nuclear? Wasn't the Republicans. Democrats went nuclear. Let's uh, continue. Chuck Schumer reminding Meet the Press or was reminded by Meet the Press. You got to give the Brian Williams Network a little credit here. Chuck Todd uh, said, you know, hey, man, it's not the Republicans who destroyed 200 years of precedence. It was you. Well, why should Senator McConnell work with you guys on this when you changed the rules first, uh, when you decided to do this? And again, a change that you yourself said this week and two months ago that you regret and it was a mistake. We never, but I don't regret not changing it for the Supreme Court. Now, does anybody, is anybody under the illusion? Because this this is, remember when, when back in 06, when Bush was in, before the Republicans lost control of the various houses of Congress that the Republicans had toyed with the idea of going nuclear back then. They just thought about it. And then John McCain is gang of 14, by the way, gang of 14, nowhere to be found right now. Uh, but they just thought about it. And then the gang of 14 came in and everybody breathed a sigh of relief. The first chance the Democrats got when they got back into power, what do they do? They went nuclear. 
Nobody is under any illusion the next time the Democrats get into power that they would go nuclear. They'd do exactly what Mitch McConnell is doing right now. Because Democrats, Democrats are throwing it all out the window. They did it with lower court justices. And had they had the opportunity to do it with a Supreme Court justice, which Republicans never filibustered, Republicans never filibustered Kagan or Sotomayor. But Leave it to Democrats. They're going to be the first ones to do it. And let me read you a quote of Mr. McConnell. You like to put up quotes. He said, <laughs> I think we can stipulate, and my good friends on the other side of the aisle stipulated from time to time over the years when they were in the minority that in the Senate it takes 60 votes on controversial matters. Since when is the Supreme Court controversial? This is the job, according to our Constitution of the President, to appoint individuals to the Supreme Court. When did that become controversial? Oh, that's right. When Democrats went crazy. Here's Mitch McConnell on Fox. Basically, basically giving us a history lesson. Judge Gorsuch deserves to be confirmed. You know, unanimously well qualified by the American Bar Association. My counterpart, Senator Schumer, once called that the gold standard. Isn't that funny? It's, it's not a right wing organization, folks. It's a left wing organization, but still said that Gorsuch is qualified. Now, way back in the day, when it was Democrat appointees going to the high court, Chuck Schumer, oh, that's the gold standard. That's the gold standard, baby. Now they're saying gold, uh, Gorsuch is qualified. Chuck Schumer, uh, well, I guess they're not the gold standard. They're not the gold standard anymore. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. In the majority, 99% uh, of the time, 97% of his rulings uh, were unanimous, only reversed one time in a case in which he participated by the Supreme Court. Uh, President Obama's former acting solicitor general said there's no principal reason to oppose him. There's no principled reason to oppose him. The only reason Democrats are opposing him, you know what? And we've been through this. It's money. It's money. The left-wing crazies who are financiers of the Democrat Party, they want Trump stopped, frustrated, opposed, and they're willing to put the electoral future of the Democrats as evidence of the last eight years at risk to do it. We'll talk to uh, Byron Henry, one of our legal eagles, coming up next. The Chris Salcedo Show. We'll be right back. The Blaze Radio Network. on the Blaze Radio Network. Senator Schumer, who convinced his colleagues after Bush 43 got elected to start routinely filibustering judges. Let me ask you, though, some specific questions. Will there be a confirmation vote by Friday? Yes, we're going to confirm uh, Judge Gorsuch uh, this week. That was uh, Mitch McConnell on Fox News Sunday basically saying, yeah, it's going to happen. No problem at all. That This is a foregone conclusion no matter what the Democrats do. Now, how he's going to get confirmed? Completely up to the Democrats. But he will be confirmed. He will be on the bench. Let's get out to Byron Henry. He is, of course, with Sheaf and Stone, one of the legal eagles here on the Chris Salcedo Show. Byron, welcome to the Chris Salcedo Show. Glad to be with you today, Chris. Yeah, you know, once in a while I get the, the wrong phone number in there. It's just bound to happen. I uh, wanted to talk to you about the Gorsuch filibuster. And first off, give me your read on what the Democrats are, are doing here. 
Well, first, I believe that the Democrat Democrats in the Senate uh, faced a really tough call here because there are a couple things going on. One, this may not be the last nominee that President Trump has, and because Neil Gorsuch's qualifications and temperament has been basically hailed by members of both parties, former solicitors general, he's very well liked on both sides of the aisle. This is an odd uh, situation or an odd place to use uh, the filibuster for a nominee like Neil Gorsuch, especially since it doesn't tip the balance of the court. So they faced a real tough test. I believe that the liberal interest groups pouring money into the Democratic Party really uh, flexed their muscles here, and they managed to get some, what I would consider in, in today's world, maybe moderate or not not as liberal senators to go along with Chuck Schumer's um, uh, call to filibuster Judge Gorsuch. And the problem I see is, is once this filibuster is is eliminated for Supreme Court nominees, uh, first of all, I think the Senate will continue to, to uh, degenerate into, you know, a more partisan, very ideological, more partisan body than it's, than it's probably ever been. But the other thing is, is what's to keep Republicans or other parties from getting rid of the filibuster on budget bills and on just simple le- legislation and whatnot. So, so it really, it really portends a, a, an end to the Senate as an institution as we know it. And the odd thing about it is not that I don't think these fights are important and, sh- and, and this should be done if necessary. It's that they're doing it on a nominee that everybody except the most liberal senator says is a mainstream conservative judge with great qualifications, a great temperament, and, and would be a great Supreme Court justice. And that's, I think, the oddity of this of using it here instead of waiting for the next nominee uh, of a President Trump or another Republican president that could literally tip the balance of the court in favor of conservatives on a number of issues for 30 years. Yeah, see, and this, but this, is, this isn't anything new. Democrats have been putting their interests ahead of the interest of of, in this case, the Senate and, and, and their interests ahead of the interests of the country for decades. Uh, it, it bears pointing out that it wasn't the Republicans who went nuclear first. It was the Democrats who laid the groundwork for that. As a matter of fact, it was pointed out by one of the analysts on Fox that every single bit of extremism, destroying tradition, destroying decorum, has been courtesy of the Democrat Party. Uh, again, I, I, as I mentioned, the destruction of the uh, the uh, going nuclear back when it was for lower Supreme Court justices. Now, the uh, uh, not Supreme Court justices, district judges. Now you've got the first filibuster of a Supreme Court nominee ever, uh, sponsored by who? The Democrats. So whenever there's a slide in tradition, whenever there is a an, an erosion to the fabric of the country, it is courtesy of the Democrat Party. Is that fair? Well, I think there's, I agree with that. Generally, there's two exceptions. One, of course, the Republican Party was still, was refusing to vote on closure on a number of circuit court nominees, uh, in 2013. But if you remember, this all started back in 2005 when the Republicans, when the Democrats were doing basically an unprecedented filibuster of 10, uh, circuit court nominees of President George W. Bush, including the, the wonderful Miguel Estrada, who never became a federal judge as a result of that obstruction. But the problem is, is that and wait, but before, before you go on, go before you it. go on, before you go on, and it bears pointing out the reason why the Democrats like Chuck Schumer, Harry Reid, Nancy Pelosi and all the other libs uh, opposed a Latino going into the district courts. And they actually had documentation supporting this. They didn't want a Latino conservative to be up there on the court because it didn't fit their political narrative about Latinos being left-wing nutcases. So they blocked him because he was a Latino. Yes, and they also blocked Janice Rogers Brown, a conservative African-American female for the yep. circuit in that same. But 
But what I was going to say is basically um, the Republicans didn't go through with it. The Republicans made a deal which sacrificed five of their nominees, including Miguel Estrada, and made a deal to preserve the filibuster. So while the, so while the Democrats invoked it then, now, now the other thing I was going to mention, Chris, the other exception is last year Mitch McConnell made a statement after Justice Scalia died, and I think you know you can argue whether it was warranted or not, but because of the nature of Justice Scalia and the fact that we were in a heated political campaign uh, in which confirmation would have basically been the most bloody it had ever been, the Republicans said we're not going to hold hearings at all for Judge Garland. Now, that did raise uh, the stakes in, for the Supreme Court. The Republicans were in control, and they did, they did invoke their discretion in the majority to, to do that. So, so the Republicans are not uh, completely faultless in charge. Well, wait a minute. They, they, they adopted the Chuck Schumer and the Harry Reid time frame. Chuck Schumer said it would have been improper for George W. Bush to put up a nominee with a year and a half left in his term. So it's, it's a double standard. Again, it is it, when you adopt the left standards against them, they don't like it very much. And certainly not. And I, I'm not saying, it, like I say, it was right. I'm just saying the Republicans are Republicans can fight uh, whether you call it fair, they can fight in the Senate using the rules. They're good in the minority, they're good in the majority, and, and what's going to happen here, though, you said that Democrats will do what they need to do if it's in their interest. My, the reason I find this peculiar is this filibuster is not in the Democratic Party's interest, because it kills the filibuster on a well-liked, well-qualified nominee, so that well. when the big fight comes... There's no filibuster left over. It's in their fi- so no. The what, what I meant by that, Byron, was that it's in their financial interest because the the crazy left wing donors, the mega million dollar donors, have said either you fight or you don't get the money. And so the Democrats have put their campaign financing, of course, ahead of decorum and tradition in the Senate, and I would rationalize ahead of the best interests of their party and of the country. Byron Henry, everybody, an appellate law expert with the law firm Sheaf and Stone LLP, right here in North Texas. Sir, I appreciate the, the time and expertise as always here on the Salcedo Show. My pleasure, Chris. All right, folks. Yeah, the, the Democrat hypocrisy is, is well-documented and well-chronicled. I didn't want to take up uh, Byron Henry's time with this. As I, I know that he, uh, that he uh, wouldn't want to... Uh, this, stuff, this stuff he already knows. Let's see if it, you know what, I, I think I found this. I, I thought I had these in the archives. So let me, here's Biden uh, laying out the rules. Listen to this. There's one thing I've learned in my years here. Once you change the rules and surrender the Senate's institutional power, you never get it back. And we're about to break the rules to change the rules. More from Biden. And in every other case since I've been here for 32 years, the presiding officer leans down to the parliamentarian and says... What's the rule, Mr. Parliamentarian? The parliamentarian turns and tells him, hold your breath, parliamentarian. He's not going to look to you because he knows what you would say. He would say this is not parliamentarily appropriate. You can not change the Senate rules by a pure majority vote. Well, actually, that ends up not being true. Uh, you know what? I'm going to look for the... The incriminating sound bites. Ted Cruz got involved in this discussion yesterday. We'll hear him as the Democrats think that they that they have solidified their left wing crazies uh, financial contributions, which they may have with this and maybe in so doing have destroyed their future electoral prospects. It's all coming up. The Chris Alcedo show here on the blaze. Be right back. 
Keep up with The Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network. Taking in a little Latin flair with Chris Salcedo on the Blaze Radio Network. The duties of the United States Senate are set forth in the Constitution of the United States. Nowhere in that document does it say the Senate has a duty to give presidential nominees a vote. It says appointments shall be made with the advice and consent of the Senate. That's very different than saying that every nominee receives a vote. That's how Democrats have conducted themselves when there have been Republicans in office. That's how they've conducted themselves. They laid the groundwork for all of this consternation. Then they want to they want to sit up there and claim, oh, we were as pure as the wind-driven snow. We didn't contribute to any of this. Chuck Schumer, back with a year and a half left before George W. Bush left office, was saying this. If there was a Supreme Court vacancy with a year and a half, here's Chuck Schumer's rule. That we should not confirm any Bush nominee to the Supreme Court except in extraordinary circumstances. They must prove. They must prove by actions, not words, that they are in the mainstream rather than we have to prove that they are not. So that was with a year and a half. Eh, nope, 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 don't put anybody up. Was Merrick Garland an extraordinary circumstance? No, the only thing that made Merrick Garland an extraordinary circumstance was that uh, Democrats wanted to stack the court. That's the only thing. Their priorities. That's what determines what extraordinary means, What if a Democrat says it is so. Joe Biden, the former vice president, senator for so many years. Joe Biden says it's okay to put off SCOTUS nominations until after the election. This is all about Merrick Garland, folks. Merrick Garland. It was, this, is what, this is what Republicans should have done, according to Democrats. It is my view that if a Supreme Court justice resigns tomorrow or within the next several weeks, or resigns at the end of the summer, President Bush should consider following the practice of a majority of his predecessors and not, and not, Name a nominee until after the November election is completed. Bunch of hypocrites, these Democrats. So yesterday, uh, Fox News Channel reporting on uh, Ted Cruz mixing it up with some of the folks and telling us the real reason what's going on here. And Chris Coons, Delaware, being the uh, 41st senator to sustain a proposed filibuster by the Democrats. First time it's ever happened in American history. And here's Mr. Coons. Delaware Senator Chris Coons became the 41st Democrat enough to sustain a filibuster. I will be voting against cloture unless we are able as a body to finally sit down and find a way to avoid the nuclear option. Well, wait a minute. The way to avoid it is for you guys not to do it. This is Donald Trump's prerogative as president. There is nothing wrong with with Judge Gorsuch, 
He is a well-qualified jurist, and those are the only considerations you're supposed to have. Your political ideology and your desire to legislate from the bench is it shouldn't even be considered, Mr. Coons. And the fact that your your left-wing extremist base is butthurt over the election, that shouldn't be considered here. But it is. There was a clash when Texas Senator Ted Cruz suggested this is pure politics. It is the action of a handful of left-wing billionaires spending money to organize activists on the ground that are, in effect, holding Democratic senators hostage. The Democrats are afraid of being primaried. Please. (laughs) That's her defense. (laughs) And the Democrats are afraid of being primaried. Please. You're damn right they are. You're damn right they're afraid. And they should be. Your base is a bunch of kooks. They're the ones that are rioting in the streets. They're the ones that are silencing free speech on college campuses. They're the ones who are turning violent. I'd be, I'd be very afraid of left-wing extremists primarying you in typically inside of the Democrat. See, in a, in a Democrat primary, it's how left-wing can you go. In a Republican primary, it's how conservative can you go. And these Democrats are afraid. They're very afraid. Democrats warned Republicans will pay. This uh, has been building up for years. All I can say is what goes around comes around. Dickie Durbin there. This is the come around, sir. You are experiencing Dick Durbin. You're experiencing the come around. You Democrats brought this upon yourself. When you went nuclear, when you got rid of the traditions of the Senate, This is all on you. You are reaping what you sowed, Dick Durbin. Deal, little man. The panel, uh, Molly Hemingway was talking about an arcane rule that may allow the Republicans to get an up or down vote for Gorsuch without going nuclear. I I didn't know this existed. Listen to this. I do want to point out there is one procedural tool that could be used to actually get to an up or down vote, an arcane uh, legislative issue where you no senator can speak more than twice in a given legislative day. And I didn't know that. I didn't know there was such a rule. And if it's true, it's merciful when you consider having to listen to these Democrats blather on. I do want to point out there is one procedural tool that could be used to actually get to an up or down vote, an arcane uh, legislative issue where you no senator can speak more than twice in a given legislative day. And a legislative day can last for more than one day. So if they wanted to get to an up or down vote, they could let every Democrat give two speeches against the nominee and then go to an up or down vote. I don't know if Republicans are willing to do that, but that's one of their only options other than ending debate. Yeah, legislative gavel, you gavel in and don't gavel out until the legislative day is over. Could take, you know, a couple days. Let the Democrats get up their filibuster, and, or not filibuster, I guess it'd be tantamount to a filibuster, give two speeches each, and then let go. Now, that might take a while, and maybe the Republicans won't be up for that. Hey, remember, everybody, a society's worth isn't measured by how much power is seized by an out-of-control government, but rather how much power is reserved for we the people. Have yourselves a great day. Hump day tomorrow. Middle of the week, we've made it downhill from there. See you tomorrow on The Blaze. This is The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is the Blaze Radio Network.